Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everyone. Mark, Michelle, and Steve here again today. And what we're going to talk about is something that is kind of a, a pet peeve of mine, and that is the conflation of dependence, like chemical dependence with addiction or what is now known as substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder. Um, A lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of lay people confuse these terms because they're confused in the media and, and because addiction treatment providers actually treat them like they're one and the same. Um, and so we're going to talk about the differences. We're going to talk about cravings. We're going to talk about who needs detox, who doesn't. Um, so there should be a lot of good stuff in here today. And I know this is, this is one of Steve's uh, pet peeves as well. So why don't you start, Steve? Yeah, well, um, uh, so addiction is supposed to be um, a situation where where your your brain is broken, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it makes you want drugs or lose control of your use of drugs or alcohol, right? Yeah. Um, that the person keeps going back no matter what. And then on the other hand, um, you have withdrawal or what you're calling dependence, right? Yeah. Um, and that is when, uh, you know, a, you use a drug repeatedly and it causes this sort of, um, I guess, dysregulation or something of, of your, your nervous system functions. Right. And I guess the, um, the example I use to demonstrate this is with opioids and diarrhea, right? Because uh, one of the withdrawal symptoms, from heroin or opioids is that people get diarrhea. And the reason that that happens is that opioids, um, the opioid receptors are involved in uh, make the digestive system and making bowel movements and the opioids make you constipated. They send signals that tell your digestive tract to slow down. Right. and so if you if you take opioids every day, your brain starts to um, your body, you know, is is becoming constipated, and your brain starts to send more signals to sort of fight the opioid signals that are saying telling your your body to constipate. It starts sending signals to tell your body to make a bowel movement, and it sort of balances out, right? Yeah. So that. You, you then become regular. Is this too, is this too graphic or no? No, no I think no, it's no, good. It's, I think it's, it's good. It's informative. It's exactly correct. It's exactly it's, correct. I describe it like a tug of war, right? right? It, it overcompensates. Yeah, yeah. The, the opioids are pulling your body to be constipated, and then your brain sends more neurotransmitters pulling on the other side to send you to the bathroom. 
Right. Now, if you and and so they're they're pulling much harder to make you go to the bathroom than they would if you weren't taking opioids every day. So now all of a sudden, if you stop taking the opioids, um, your brain is sending all of these signals to make you have a bowel movement, and that's where you see the diarrhea and and people stuck in the bathroom having digestive problems for a few days because it, it it's almost like when you let go of that other side of the the rope and everybody goes tumbling down right yeah um, it's overcompensated and now without opioids in you for a few days your brain starts to realize oh, okay we don't have to send so many signals to make a bowel movement and things come back to normal right now that process that's going on the opioids go in the in in the brain and opioid receptors are involved in so many of our central nervous system functions um, the regulation of pain and heart rate and all sorts of things that are all thrown out of whack in that same way as digestion is is thrown out of whack and so people go through a lot of pain hot and cold sweats all these sort of problems when they go into opioid withdrawal when they stop taking the opioids and um, and it takes the body a few days to set all those systems back into balance again the same thing happens with alcohol the same thing happens with the benzos like xanax or or valium um, they they all severely um, affect the if you use them on a regular basis the brain it, it, they, they affect all these other central nervous system functions and the brain tries to compensate. And so then when you take any of those drugs out, you have this withdrawal syndrome. Um, but that is, that's, so that's dependence. So anytime you, you slow down on taking a drug that you're physically dependent on, you're going to start experiencing those symptoms. But the thing is, um, those systems don't really, those uh, symptoms don't really exist with something like cocaine, uh, methamphetamines, marijuana, Special K, ecstasy, angel That's dust, right. uh, you know, all these other drugs that people use. Really, the only notable withdrawal uh, symptoms come from uh, the opioids, the benzos, and alcohol. And with alcohol, and, and benzos, the, uh, the withdrawal can lead to, um, uh, what do we, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it can, it can be fatal. Yeah. I mean, it can, it can yeah. seizures. It can, seizures. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the, the withdrawal can lead to seizures. And, um, but, but then you have all these other drugs that people feel equally addicted to where there's no withdrawal. So the withdrawal syndrome is a separate issue right. right and and the biggest people tend to conflate it they think opioid addiction is all about withdrawal um but of course you know when i was using opioids people used to go to the detoxes all the time and i know that practice has died down a bit in some ways right um people are more trying to get onto a maintenance drug or something like that they're not doing this cycle through detoxes, but a lot of people I knew cycled through detoxes all the time and they would be totally over their physical dependence. But then, you know, within a few weeks they would go and they would start using heroin again 
and build up the same sort of physical dependence all over again. And so if addiction was about the withdrawal, then shouldn't they be cured after the right. hospital detox, right? But of course they're not. They go back and use again. And why do they go back and use again? Well, because you, they want to get high, right? You want to get high or you think that you need a drug to deal with the stress of your life or whatever whatever people's individual reasons are, um, they choose to use again even when withdrawal is is not a problem, when physical dependence is no longer a problem. So these really are two separate issues. Let, let, me, can, let, me, jump in, let me jump in there because where it gets confusing to the average layperson is that the word addiction is used for both physical dependence and a want of a drug. Right. A want is a craving or can be a craving, right? But people, because one word is an umbrella over both the physical dependence and the want, which is a mental process, with one word addiction, people think they're the same thing. They think one is working on the other and, and is causing the other and they get really confused. It becomes a mess. Um, so I, I think we need to be very clear when we're, when we're talking and when people are thinking about this that withdrawal is a physical condition. And one of the things that I've talked about before and we've, I've written in articles and, and we talk about it in the book um, is the what people think that if you have physical withdrawal, you are caused or forced to use, that it drives mental addiction or the craving. Um, you know, so if you have withdrawal, you automatically have to feed that, that physical addiction and overcome the withdrawal by getting high again, you know, that the craving is caused by that. Yeah. So, so one of the things that disputes that is is the and we've used this in other podcasts but I'll go through it quick is you have people who who get put on opiates especially back in the 70s and 80s and prior to to drug awareness um, that were in hospitals were put on high doses of morphine then without their knowledge they're pulled off the morphine and told you're you're cured of your accident whatever trauma you have and they go home from the hospital and they have a three-day withdrawal symptom symptoms and which feels just like the flu but because they're not aware that it's quote unquote an addiction right it's not framed that way they they just move on with their life they don't have craving they don't they, they don't crave anything because they were never taught to crave they were never taught to see it as an addiction um yeah so exactly and that point is so important for people to know it really it really blows the whole thing up Right, we learn to respond to withdrawal uh, symptoms by craving. Um, it's it's not an automatic thing. That's right, and and that's that's why words matter. That's why understanding what's happening to you matters. So so a lot of times um, when we conflate these terms, it's almost like conflating. I always use the train analogy: the caboose with the engine. And, and saying they're one and the same thing. If we called the caboose the engine 
that would make no sense and it would really confuse which end of the train was running what. And um, so a lot of times people say, well, I'm addicted because I have withdrawal. No, you're, you're physically dependent because you have a toxic condition because you've poisoned your body and you just have to stop poisoning yourself, right? That's the solution to withdrawal. The solution to withdrawal is stopping the substance safely in a hospital. Um, but Exactly, you, and that's, that's the thing that there actually is a, a good set of treatments available, medical treatments yes, to help you through that medical condition. That's but exactly then you have the question of, am I going to continue to use drugs to this degree in my life or not? Right. Which but, is, which is a mental choice based, mindful process. It has nothing to do with the body. And so they, they, so the, what is driving the train, the engine is the mind. Because if you say to yourself, Yep, I have physical withdrawal every time I stop drinking. Okay. What, what really is the only thing that can change the trajectory of your life at that point is you thinking, first, I need to take care of the physical withdrawal by going to the hospital and detoxing myself physically. Then I have to ask the mental process of myself, do I still want to get drunk? Two completely separate isolated processes. You take care of the body, a toxic condition, that's treatment because you're treating a it's no different than being bit by a snake and going and being detoxified from from the venom, right? So so you're going and you're detoxifying the physical condition. But then once you're detoxified, it does it may not solve the issue permanently unless you address why do I like getting fucked up? And I think that that is so people get those things really confused, and we we and not. you know the thing that confuses it even more is <clears throat> right now um, so many people are on methadone and yes. suboxone, right? right? Those Just, are being pushed as the treatments for heroin addiction. Yeah. Right? See. Yeah. There's that word again. See it. Yeah. Yeah. And, they say these are effective treatments for addiction. But in fact, what, what Suboxone, also known as buprenorphine, or methadone are, is they are opioids that have a, what we call a longer half-life. And so if you take a heroin or oxycodone or morphine, those drugs have about a three-hour half-life. And... You take it, it goes quickly into the opioid receptors and it stays there for a while and gets metabolized and leaves the opioid receptors within just a few hours. And that's when you want another hit of those drugs because now that the receptors are empty, you can take more heroin and it'll tickle those receptors and you'll feel more of a high right at that point once they empty out you can put more drug in the thing with methadone or buprenorphine is that uh, those drugs go into the receptors and they stay there from anywhere from 15 to 60 hours 
Uh, they've got an extremely long half-life. Um, doesn't mean you're high the whole time because the high is the spike, right? Um, you would only get high off these drugs if you take them erratically once in a while, some such thing. But the idea with providing them to treat addiction is to give people a daily dose at the same time every day. It's got a long half-life. They never go through withdrawal because of that, right? And um, and then they, they take it the next day and, it, you know, this it, it builds up into the system where a point where they feel relatively kind of normal on it. Um, but the problem is that withdrawal isn't the only driver of the drug use, right? Right. It's, it's, it's actually... Is it even a driver at all? Well, I mean, it's a driver if we... Res- Temporarily. If we, become, if we become sensitive to it, if we learn to respond to it as That's I true. need drugs, then it is, right? If we right. respond to it in that way. But... But so that's just one among, you know, you could it, name all the reasons people say they want drugs, right? People say, I need to numb myself. I want to escape. I want to feel something. I want to high. Um, I need the drug to feel more social and outgoing and comfortable in my own skin, right? I need the drug to relax and withdraw and be all alone, right? And Mm -hmm. there's this big list of reasons. People like the high, the physical sensation. Um, But so you have all these different reasons you could want an opioid, one of which is, well, when I stop taking the opioid, I feel sick. That's just one. But um, so the, the idea with what has happened with the big push for everybody to be on methadone or suboxone is that they've really, really conflated withdrawal and um, the sort of mental drive to use substances. And they've, they've convinced people that the solution is all in just putting you on this long-lasting opioid. And it's really important to understand why if I was on methadone on and off for over a five-year period, um, and I still wanted to use heroin while I was on methadone because I wanted a high. Right. You only you only get the high off the methadone the first few days as they raise your dose each day, right? Well, Until they stabilize you, right? And the whole idea. I mean, that's the goal to stabilize yeah. you when your goal is to feel high. Right. My goal is to feel high, right? <laughs> well, so, here, let me let me jump in right at this point because really, I we get all the time, you know, we begin the freedom model with anybody can moderate successfully if you really want to moderate successfully, right? And people always immediately jump to, drinkers will buy that to some degree, but the drug takers, the heroin users say, oh, so you're saying I could use heroin moderately? And I say... Well, do you take Suboxone? Well, yeah, I take, I, I'm on a daily regimen of Suboxone. And I say, well, then you're moderating. <laughs> you, you, you've already moderated because you're, you're voluntarily having a low dosage of heroin. And you Which don't is not even, really getting you high. Yeah, you're not really that high, are you? And it's moderate use of heroin. That's what methadone is. It is, the, it is a voluntary 
moderate dosage of long-release heroin. So it is literally the definition of moderate heroin use. And, but because it's not framed that way, it's framed sure. as it's, yeah. fr- it's framed as medicine for addiction. People buy into it and they don't Except, ask the, they don't ask the question. Go ahead. Well, when you're on methadone, you just sort of feel this low level something. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a high. It's right. only, I'll tell you one time, um, one of the times I spent like a weekend in jail, um, I went two, three days without my methadone dose, and then I got it. They gave me the same dose, and I about fell on the floor. I I got very high at that point <laughs> from the methadone, yeah. but most of the rest of the time, you know, it's it's not like a high. So it, I I get what you're saying about it's sort of it's sort of moderate use, but it would be the worst kind of moderate <laughs> use. Well, that's you know why. I mean? pe- that, but Steve, yeah. that's why people don't stay on it. That's my point because they well, want yeah. they want to get high, and it's no different than a drinker. And we used this in the last podcast, but a drinker drinking a bunch of non-alcoholic duels. I mean, that's the worst kind of moderate drinking. And what's hilarious, what's hilarious is we don't call drinking duels medicine because it would be totally <laughs> ridiculous. It's almost as ridiculous as taking methadone as some sort of solution. Yeah. It's it, it it's all based in a confusion of words that were carefully crafted by the pharmaceutical companies. Now, I don't I'm not one of these conspiracy theorist guys that think that that every pharmaceutical company is the devil, right? I mean, look, they're just making a product that people are willing to buy. That's right. Um, but the problem is that people really don't understand what they're doing because they, they've conflated. At the center of this confusion is this idea that mental addiction and physical addiction are one and the same. And what happens to the unfortunate people in this, like yourself, what you experienced, Steve, is you're cycling for years wondering why the medicine isn't taking your craving away. And, exactly. And that is where the rubber meets the road, is after you cycle five times through your Suboxone and then heroin escapades, if you survive it, because you know that's a dangerous game to begin with, um, you're wondering why the medicine works for Johnny over there but doesn't work for you. I would argue yeah. that if it works, if Suboxone works to keep you off of uh, heroin, you don't need the Suboxone. Just, yeah. de- just detox well, off the yeah, Suboxone so and, and just move on with your life, for God's sakes. So let me make the, the best case that people, that supporters of Suboxone and Methadone would make, okay? Mm-hmm. And what that is, is they would say, well, look, a heroin addict's life is in total turmoil because they're chasing heroin every day. They're hustling to get money for it or whatever you have to do, right? Um, it's a lot of work to keep copying the heroin and, and, and just keep the highs going and they're managing all of this and they're stuck in a loop with, withdrawal um but if you put them on this drug every day now the withdrawal is gone they might still use heroin for a while but since they're not having to chase this around life calms down right and then they might start to say to themselves 
um, oh, actually, I am feeling better without taking heroin every day, without chasing this. And they might start to do, you know, they might go out and get the job and spend more time with their family and do the things that they've been avoiding because they've been totally wrapped up in heroin. That's the best case scenario, that um, argument for how it would work as a treatment is it would give people the space to discover that they could be happier not chasing these drugs all day every day. Okay. What do you think of that? Well, I think that would be fine as long as they, uh, as as long as the truth of what they're actually taking is told, and and the truth of the fact that they could simply move past. Uh, the heroin problem on their own. The other thing is, is that really what you're describing is the problems of having drugs be illicit. Um, yes. Okay. And that's why, you know what? I was thinking about this a lot last week, Mark. And what I've realized with a lot of these people I've talked to who push methadone and suboxone in the media, they've made comments offline, not online that indicate that they're basically looking for pseudo legalization. Yes, yes. Look at the argument for Suboxone is really the argument of safety. And yes. safety, when it comes down to it, you know, all this other stuff that we just talked about is the confusing part that is really unfortunate because the people taking it are totally confused as to why they're taking it. Um, but if we get into the safety argument, why not just legalize heroin because that's what people want and get rid of this guise that you have to be on a maintenance drug to stop taking heroin. If you legalized heroin completely and made it safe for everybody, um, there's absolutely no reason to have Suboxone or Methadone exist because then people can say, oh, I can go to detox for five days and be off this stuff and move on with my life. I don't need medicine, or I can uh, reduce my level because we know that if people are taking Suboxone, it's just a low-level opiate, so they're already moderating. We now have an experiment of uh, millions of people that mo use moderate heroin through Suboxone, okay? So we know we have this massive amount of data now that shows that there are that people moderate their heroin use through these other low dose heroin products that are the quote unquote safe but to, but to say it's medicine and to say it's all these that it staves off addiction all of that is a horrible horrible confusing distraction to uh, we have fentanyl laced heroin therefore we have safe reduced moderate heroin use over here under the guise of medicine. Get rid of the medicine argument. Just eliminate it because it's nonsense. Yeah. It's not true. And, and then just say, okay, if we're going to save lives or save somebody from the potential of fentanyl laced heroin or whatever laced heroin, um, yeah. then, then why not just produce pure heroin for people that want it and are going to buy it anyway because they're buying yeah. it now and they're willing to die to take it because they like it so much. Let's just legalize the damn thing. Let the people who want to get high get high the way they want to and let the people who want to get off of it go to detox and move on with their lives. 
But that's yeah. not the way it works because now we have an entire industry of doctors who have replaced the drug dealer on the corner and are now providing moderate heroin use in a quote unquote safe environment. But it's not safe in the long run because eventually the person's going to want to get high again and go out on the street and buy the fentanyl laced heroin. So the whole suboxone safety argument as an aggregate actually produces the very problem and keeps the problem churning by keeping the drug illegal. So really what has happened? If we get right down to it, we have doctors who have replaced the guy on the corner. And, but however, the guy on the corner still exists. So when people want to get high, they're getting the wrong stuff, which then is an argument for the doctor to prescribe uh, moderate <laughs> suboxone, moderate heroin use, which is safer, quote unquote. And then the person goes back to the dealer. And you see, so it's creating the very cycle that they say they're trying to cure in the name of safety. Legalize, yeah. legalize the damn stuff. Be truthful about what it is. Call addiction what it is. It's a mental, mindful process of people wanting and craving a drug that they like. And the rest of it is just a toxic condition that detox absolutely unequivocally takes care of. And ironically, with heroin, you don't even need a detox because it won't kill you coming off it. You'll be uncomfortable for a few days. For God's yeah, sakes. You don't for, need it. You could use it. You could take advantage of it. But yeah, it is not needed. Right. Um, I, I think a lot of people that listen to our podcast, <laughs> I think they're going to hate you said moderate heroin use. I know. That's going to make them mad. And I, I want to point out again that both of us and it, all of us, me, you, and Michelle, we are all for each individual's liberty to use whatever drugs they want to use. Absolutely. And so when we call this moderate heroin use, that is not um, a proxy for saying that you're a bad person if you if you take suboxone or methadone or the and so and because we don't think you're a bad person if you take heroin we think it's your right and your prerogative to do so it just doesn't happen to be legal here right. but um so we're not saying this to say that people are bad um we're just trying to give the reality of of what these drugs are right yeah yeah, that's right. I, I think before we do legalization, I think we have to change the definition of addiction. And, and that's where the problem lies. The majority of people that use opiates use them moderately. I mean, the vast majority, like 99% of people that are prescribed opiates take them as prescribed and they don't have an issue with that. That's a real good point. That yeah, is a, actually, that, do you want to know the basic stats on that? Yeah, I would. You have close to you have somewhere between 90 and 100 million people that take opioids every year right opioid painkillers yep from there you have 10 or 12 million who are counted as having misused in a year right but misuse is a very broad definition it could mean that you know like let's say you got a 10-day prescription uh, for Percocets after an injury and you only used half the bottle and then you get another 
injury uh, six months later and you take the rest of the Percocets, um, you've misused at that point, right? Or if you stretch a 10-day prescription out over 20 days, that would be misuse. But misuse is also getting a pill from a friend that does not belong to you. It's, it's all over the map, right? Right. Or taking more or just taking a whole bunch of them to get high. That's misuse, right? So it covers a wide range. So you go from 90 to 100 million people are taking the drugs, 10 or 12 million are considered misusers, and then 2 million, or it's it, tiny. It's not even 2 million, it's actually no. lower than that, but I'm in the 2 million figures counted heroin addicts as well. But then you have 2 million opioid addicts, right? So the vast majority of people, even those who considered to be misusers, um, aren't counted as addicts, right? Only right. It's, so it, it whittles down. So I'm sorry, but so yes, I, I jumped in on you and you were saying that most opioid use is moderate or sort of by the book, right? Right, exactly. And the thing that, I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, and I don't know if it's still being talked about, but there was, we were getting calls from people who were saying, I've been diagnosed with post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And what they were saying is, I'm still withdrawing from these drugs six months down the road. And, and, and what they're really describing is this conflation, which is, you know, they still want to get high, you know, they, yeah. and, and so they, they're framing it in their own mind as it's because the drug is still in my fat cells or there's something firing in my brain that's telling me I have to get high when it's complete and total bunk, which is why you don't hear a whole lot about it anymore. But ironically, it probably is the push for Suboxone and Methadone. Which yeah, is, well, yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. Do you guys, do you get, does the name Terry Gorski, uh, Ring a bell with yes. you guys all? Yes. Yep. So this is the guy, what basically what was done by Terry Gorski is he took what they considered the dry drunk syndrome. Yep. Yep. And did surveys, asked people um, if they're experiencing this sort of dry drunk symptoms, which is in the year or two after quitting drinking, um, are you irritable? Are you finding yourself angry? I, I forget what the exact questions are. I've seen some of these things before, but it's but it's basically, um, are are you you cranky and upset for the year or two after you quit, after you've been forced into these into quitting into doing right? something you didn't want to do, right? Yeah. So they what what he did and what a lot of people did along the way is they recast the dry drunk syndrome as post-acute withdrawal syndrome, or pause. Pause. And it <laughs> sounds very scientific, right? Right. Post-acute withdrawal syndrome? That sounds like it's real, medical, scientific. It does. It sounds like you need medicine for it. it oh, it, maybe Suboxone and methadone. And, and naltrexone, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So it sounds very scientific, but people need to know there there's only... I think the only drug for which protracted withdrawal, and you see that in the medical literature, for which there there's sometimes protracted withdrawal, is um, is the benzos. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but but the way this pause, everybody talks about it all the time now, and they're they're um, convinced that they're going to have two years of withdrawal because of the term pause and a post-acute withdrawal syndrome. 
Um, that's just the dry drunk syndrome recast. It, it means nothing. It means that if you're forced to quit and you're not happy about quitting, you're not going to be happy for the next year or two if you stay quit, right? And it's not that there's something physically wrong with you. It's that you still really think drugs have a lot to offer you. Right. And that you're missing out by not taking them. So that's what really needs to be dealt with. If, if I put these drugs aside for a while, will I be missing out? Really, well, it, genuinely. Right? right, right. Well, it's one of the things that people say, have said to me about the Freedom Model, our book, is they say, you know, you, you, you sort of debunk all the, the, the physical things that happen to people. And what you guys are talking about here is this idea that, that it's, again, the conflation, the term addiction applying to physical withdrawal. And physical withdrawal is not an addiction. Addiction is I want this drug because it makes me feel good or it addresses or I believe it addresses these things in my life. And that is, that is addiction, right? That's what we would call addiction. But people call a toxic condition we call detox. And I, I can't say this enough. I have to, a lot of times I'll be talking to people, the reason I'm bringing this up is I, we got to get right down to basics constantly and say, you know, when, you, when you're detoxifying, you are taking a toxin, you are poisoned. Right. All right. And, and the type of poisoning is what Steve explained with the receptor sites. It's basically an overcompensate, your body overcompensating to get past a drug that's gummed up your system. I mean, it's literally that simple. In, in layman's terms, you have a bunch of junk in your system and your body trying, yeah. to, trying to function normally overcompensates. Then you take the junk out. And it's and the body is overworking for about three days, and it goes, oh, the junk isn't in the way anymore. I can relax. Yeah, and then exactly. Then, you know what? It's like if you're running a store, and all of a sudden, you get all kinds of business, all kinds of people coming in. You call down a bunch more clerks to come work at the store, and then the store <laughs> empties out. Right? <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. And then you gotta fire all those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's detox. Exactly. That's, that's, that's detox. That Get a, out. I don't want to pay you anymore. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna. We're gonna wrap this up. We're coming up on about 40 minutes. Um, I think this was a really great informational podcast for people who may be a little bit confused about about detox. I want to say a little bit about there are there are certain drugs where alcohol and benzodiazepines um, if you're if you're stopping them abruptly, you could have some medical issues. You could we, die. You could die. Um, we strongly recommend that you look for a, a place to detox safely, a medical facility, you know, uh, hopefully and um, and you can call us because we can help you find some of the best ones in the country. If you're seeking help, we offer a variety of services. If you're struggling with what is called addiction, which is the the want for a drug, the want to get high, um, the Freedom Model can help you. You can learn about our life-changing services at thefreedommodel.org or call us at 888-424-2626. Please like and share this podcast with your friends and family. 
You may be the reason uh, that someone gets the information they need to finally break free from addiction and recovery because you don't have to be in recovery. You're not sick. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're consistently posting new videos now, um, including video lessons from the Freedom Model. And if you subscribe, you'll be notified each time a new video goes up. So thank you, Mark and Steve. I think this was wonderful. And uh, check in with us next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out SoberForever.net. Once again, that's SoberForever.net.